everyone, Madeline Dell here, the Chapter Goddess. I am a mom, author, blogger, freelancer, podcaster, producer, and overall creative. With this show, I really want to focus on creatives and bring their authentic self to life. How are they motivated to pursue their passions? What have been the struggles along the way? Does self-care play an important role in who they are today and how they connect with the creative flow? Bringing one's authentic self to the forefront is important in this world that we live in currently. Sharing your self-care, your tips, and how you stay on track for things without losing it completely is also important. Self-care is not talked about enough, and authenticity and self-care are what I like to highlight with my creatives, as well as getting to know them. So get ready for a fun and entertaining show. Hit the like button, subscribe if you haven't already, and let's get ready to meet this episode's guest. Today's episode is sponsored by Creative Edge Publicity. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Chapter Goddess Chat. I have a fantastic guest for you guys to meet today. I've been privileged enough to be on a show with her with Go Indie Now, so I'm stoked that she is on my own podcast and interview channel. But without further ado, let me bring her in and let her introduce herself and tell us a little bit about her work. Hi, everyone. So uh, my name is JP McLean. Now, I wasn't always JP. I was Joanne, and I still am to a lot of people. But Joanne is spelt many different ways. J-O hyphen is my name. And therefore, I thought it'd just be a little more easy if I used JP. So far, it's working out. So I've been writing for 12 years now. And in those 12 years, I have written nine full-length books. I've got another one in draft form in two different series. I have a novella and several short stories. And um, all of those stories are written in a supernatural or urban fantasy genre because I just love magic and anything magical. I write full-time. I live um, on a little wee island uh, off the west coast of Canada in British Columbia and um, I write full-time and uh, I I like gardening. Mostly the weeds like my garden and I have to get rid of them and um, I'm a so I I call myself a lapsed gardener and I enjoy cooking. I love I love cooking when I've got the time. And um, I also enjoy scuba diving, but only in warm water because I'm a real wuss for cold temperatures. Um, and that's me kind of in a nutshell. Oh, yeah. I, I don't blame you on the whole preference for warm water. Anything cold is not not my cup of tea. Like, I, I'll do it. Not the water part. <laughs> if the water's cold, I really don't want to get it. But let's dive in and talk about your latest release the ghost mark from the dark dream series tell us a little bit about that well the dark dream series starts with blood mark and ghost mark carries on where blood mark left leaves off and this is blood mark and ghost mark is um i'll show you the cover is that one and um so we learn uh, the protagonist is a, a woman named Jane Walker, and she is born with this snaking blood red birthmark around her. And in the first book, we we learn that that is not actually a blood mark. It, uh, sorry, a birthmark. It's a blood mark. And it, it was given to her in an Inca ritual and it protects her. And um, so in Ghost Mark, it continues and her blood marks um, at the end of the very first book. She's not sure if those blood marks are protecting her anymore. Um, It's um, set on the West Coast of Canada, which all my books are set on the West Coast of Canada. And um, we learn that it's a psychopathic killer who was after her in book one. In book two, the psychopathic killer is in jail, but other people start coming to the forefront that are threatening her. And 
in the, the Inca ritual that gave her the marks to protect her, help her when she's dreaming. When she dreams, she dreams of the past. <laughs> Continuing on, uh, in Ghost Mark, Jane is setting out to fix something that she broke in the first book. And when she broke it, what I mean by that is she has these debilitating dreams where she's frozen in her sleep. And during those dreams, she's actually uh, slipping into the past. And she used to slip into the past as just a ghost or fly on the wall. But at the end of the first book, she started slipping into the past as a fully formed person and she broke something. And so she's trying to fix that mistake in Ghost Mark. And um, she doesn't know if the marks are protecting her. She knows she ruined one life, at least one life, in with the mistake she made. And so she's been searching for the only person who might have actually benefited from the mistake that she made. Mm-hmm. When she finds him, she finds out that he is actually a seasoned killer in a drug gang. So she's devastated. And then she learns he's coming after her boyfriend, the only man she's ever loved. He's coming after her. And so she is trying to warn her boyfriend. That's the big scene. She needs to to warn him. But then she falls into another one of these debilitating dreams. And this dream won't let her go. Oh, man, that's That's terrifying. Like, (laughs) I mean, obviously, she's going to eventually get out. Right. But, oh, um, where did the inspiration for this come from? Well, the second book's inspiration is kind of vague it just builds on the first one all the all the potential uh as you're writing the first one I keep little notes Uh, but the first one the whole series the whole idea of this mark around her came from an NBC series opener for uh, a series called um blind spot yeah and Jamie Alexander was the actress in that and you know that front that first scene is New York Times Square at night It's been cleared of people. There's a duffel bag that's been dropped and a bomb tech is approaching the duffel bag and he's got the, you know, the mask on and the big puffy thing. And as he approaches the bag, it starts to unzip from inside and Jamie Alexander pops out and she's covered in tattoos from the neck down and she doesn't know who she is or why she has these marks um, or who gave them to her. And so I thought it would be so interesting to write a book from the perspective of that person who has marks that weren't of their choosing. And how does that impact them from birth if they're if they grow up like that? What kind of a person are they? And then I got into the I I want it to be an Inca ritual. I wanted them to be a good thing in the end that that they help her. So that's how that started. So that sparks the curious question of what her parents were like, who were they and how did they play a role in that? Well, it's, that's, that's key in this book because um, the, the, she's an orphan. Um, and the, so I, I don't want to spoil too much. She yeah, was sorry. abandoned at birth. No, that's okay. She was abandoned at birth. And so when she learns that these are blood marks, the people who are experts in Inca mythology they, they think that they had to have come from her parents, but she doesn't believe that they could possibly have come from her parents because she was abandoned hours after she was born. So why would they, uh, why would they do that to her? Why would they you know, want to protect her if they don't even know who she is or what she's capable of? So that gets solved in the first book. We learn all about that in the first book. Man, that's heartbreaking and traumatic. Um... How does that affect how she handles situations as an adult? Oh, really? It's it's fantastic because she grows up. This is where you can kind of make the childhood that that will motivate the future actions. So she um, grows up in the system. She's uh, adopted out when she's very young, and those parents die in a tragic house fire. And then she's, I know, I have to give her everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know what they say about you put your care, you chase your characters up a tree and throw rocks at them. Oh, well, I mean, for good characters. So. <laughs> so she ends up growing up in the system. And um, I had interviewed a social worker to just get a sense of it. And um, he said, you know, it's a it's a terrible phenomenon. But it's I guess it's true that a lot of times these foster kids, all they have is a green garbage bag full of their things that they carry from home to home, especially if they're troublesome children. Um, You know, they have to leave right away or somebody else in the home is troublesome. So that's her. She's a troublesome kid and gets in trouble. 
and she's suffering from these marks, the kids making fun of her. So that builds her character in a certain way as she becomes an adult and she meets her, her best friend in care. And so her and another 13 year old named Sadie grow up in the system together and they, they go out onto the streets and they live on the streets for a little while. And then they go into the seediest part of the downtown and live there for a little while. So um, the best friend is a prostitute on the side when she needs extra money. And there's no judgment because that's life when you're living on the streets. And so um, it makes for a very interesting scenario. Uh, So much, it's so rich. There's so much you can draw from for the story. So there's lots in there about bar scenes and um, downtown east side. And she rides a motorcycle because when she has the marks, um, you know, the visors, the full frontal visors you can't see who she is you can't see her marks so she feels like she's free when she's on a bike because no one knows who she is so um, just tons of interesting little tidbits that you can throw in based on the upbringing that I've given her which is no parents doesn't know why she has these marks has the marks has these debilitating dreams and has this kick-ass best friend Sadie that's just a riot she's so funny yeah so how does the paranormal world come into play um, for her, does she know it, it, like, does she have an idea that it exists early on or is she just like hit with it for like full force? She kind of knows it exists because she's been having these dreams since she was about, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old. So she knows that she's dreaming of things that really happened because she, as a child confronts the kids that she's dreamed about and uh, tries to offer them sympathy or tries to help them. And you can imagine what it must feel like if you're, you know, a, a, a young boy and your dad's beating you. You don't necessarily want to admit to that. So if some girl comes up and says, you know, can I help you with this? She gets shunned and pushed and you know, pushed into puddles and such. So she knows that they're true. She knows these things happened. Um, she doesn't know how to deal with it. But when she meets Sadie, she all of a sudden has a friend who supports her and backs her up and understands. And she's the first one she tells about these dream so she um she grows up knowing that part of it the rest of it comes as she approaches her 25th birthday and the 25th birthday is a key date in her life for the inca ritual that gave her the mark so as she approaches that date her dreams are changing and she is becoming more present in the dreams and so she knows that the supernatural exists in that she is slipping back in time not way back in time just like to her childhood mm-hmm. um, and and that's kind of the time frame that I keep it within uh, just to, to make it a little bit simpler and um, so as it goes along it's going to get more and more complicated a lot of people have called my books fantasy light or supernatural light so if you are new to the genre and you don't know if it's something that you might enjoy yeah. Um, this this series and the series before it are real good introduction because it doesn't hit you over the head with fantasy. It's just kind of worms its way into the story. Yeah, it's like a gradual introduction kind yeah. of. That's yeah, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> it's a great way to get people into that genre. Um, another thing I'm curious about is the Inca background you've got going on here. Um, what kind of pulled you toward using that in the story? I needed to find a, uh, I needed to find lore or a really rich uh, historical place from which to draw these marks Mm -hmm. because they couldn't just be ordinary birthmarks or tattoos. They had to have a ritualistic meaning. So I just, you know, researched uh, rituals and came across some offering bowls. These, the offering bowls are in my book, and they are a real thing that happened back in Inca days. And people would put something of value into the bowl and make an offering to the gods, and it would be for you know better crops or or whatever. So um, her marks are as a result of a sacrifice that somebody has made on her behalf to protect her. Mm. So I just had to find that little bit of real world to attach to the to the marks so that it gave them a little more heft and I find that with all the books that I write I try to put as much real real life things in it as possible like I I set them in 
present day Vancouver, I name restaurants, I name streets. Um, I, I want people to feel super grounded so that when the supernatural elements happen, they can believe them or suspend their disbelief because the rest of it is so real. And so the Inca ritual stuff is real. If you, if you go online, you will find all the stuff that I talk about is actually real. I've just applied it in a imaginative way. Yeah. And that is so fun to do, especially because it's an urban fantasy type novel. That's like just, it's perfect fit for that. Um, (laughs) Putting it in the real world and people are going to question, is this really a thing? Like, if I go to this spot, is something like, did something really happen here related to this? Like, it makes a lot of people question, like, what is real and what's not real for those? And it's just mm-hmm. a lot of fun because it's also, I find it easier to escape into the story because it's so realistic. Um, when it comes to her character, did you draw inspiration, like, for her body image and looks and stuff from the aforementioned show? Or uh, no, no, no. I mean, I guess they both have dark hair, but uh, no, I didn't. I didn't draw that comparison. I actually, her physicality is, in many ways, the opposite of the main character in the first series, and I did that on purpose because in when I was doing the first series, um, it was the first serious writing that I had done, and I took a few of my own characteristics and put them into that character because it made it easier to write the character when I knew so many things about her height and all that stuff. So in the new book, I made it so that I, I was not familiar. I made it a challenge. So she's not like the first character at all. She's like the first character comes from an affluent family. um, uh, Very naive in, in many ways. This character of course is the opposite. She's like bottom of the barrel for money. She has no money. She has no skills. She barely scraped through high school lives in a really rough part of town. So um, the, the differences were important to me to make. I, I just did not want to make the mistake of using the same character only with a different hair color kind of thing in the, in the second series. Yeah. Man, she's fascinating. And she seems like a tough, like spitfire just from what you explained. Of her. Yeah. Well, she had to be right. That's yeah. the whole point of the backstory is, mm-hmm. you know, it has to motivate the actions going forward. So yeah, she was definitely motivated. <laughs> yes. Does she get a chance to kind of come out of that survival mode that she's kind of been stuck in? Uh, she will. She's not um, out of it yet because um, she is still traveling into the past in her narcoleptic state where she can't um, control Mm -hmm. and so um, that continues into the third book uh, which is finished I just I I, it'll have to go through an editing process I have finished it though but I'm letting it steep for a couple weeks before I get back into it but um, yeah she will in the end uh, yes come come more into that but it's always going to be a problem because this is not going away for her so she will always have unknown things she'll always be in danger and putting putting herself in danger and having to be very careful all the time yes um you mentioned that book three is getting ready to go into the editing process what does your process from start to end look like with creating a book okay uh well, I'm a, a little, the very first book I did, Secret Sky, um, that was told pants, completely pants. I started with a scene and I built outwards and then I rewrote it and rewrote it and rewrote it. I've gotten a little smarter now. <laughs> My, I, neither method is, um, you know, a, something you must do, but I know myself a bit better now. Yeah. So now I know that I need, me only, other people know, but I need an outline. <laughs> I need to know where it starts where it ends, and I need to know a couple of scenes in between. And um, interestingly enough, that gets me through most of the books that I write. Mm -hmm. But these books, the Mark books, Bloodmark, Ghostmark, and the new one, um, are considerably different in that the first book was told from one character's first-person perspective. The new books, the three Mark books, are written Mm -hmm. from three characters, third person perspective. So there's 
three stories and they're all twisted together. So there's there's Jane, the main character that goes through all of it. There is her sidekick or her roommate, Sadie. And then the third voice is different in each book. And so I found, I thought I had a good enough outline, but as I started writing it, it happened with all of the books. Mm-hmm. I realized that it wasn't enough. I needed more. Yeah. So um, yeah, it, these ones have been really hard much more difficult to write but so after I get the outline I start writing it chronologically usually if I run into a roadblock I can write another scene uh, further Mm -hmm. along if I want or in this new book I just change characters so instead of writing a Sadie scene I'll write a Jane scene or one of the other scenes Um, and then that process usually takes about six to eight months depending on how hard it is and then I set it aside let it seep for a little while well, first of all, I have a I have a glass of champagne. Super yes, important. Celebrate, yeah. Super important. <laughs> and then and then after it sits, um, I'll go back over it uh, with fine tooth comb. Mm-hmm. And I'm not looking for all the little teeny weeny errors. I'm looking for things like um, scenes where I've got a lot of dialogue and not enough setting and not enough description. Uh, mm-hmm. Scenes where I've got too much description and I need to throw some dialogue in to break it up. Um, uh, that that kind of thing. And I, I make sure I haven't lost any threads. Like I already know just as it's steeping, I've lost a thread that I'm going to have to write into in the end or else get rid of the teaser, you know. So that's the my edit process. And then um, it goes to, I've got a couple of different beta readers that are good at different things. So then it goes off to beta readers who are like the big picture beta readers. And they'll send it back with uh, comments on, a scene maybe that wasn't working for them, uh, choreography that maybe wasn't working, timing that's off, that kind of thing. So I fix that stuff up. And then it goes off to a structural editor because mm. I still need structural edits. I, yeah. I just get so much from them. And then I incorporate all that stuff and then more beta readers. And then um, I incorporate that stuff. And then it goes off to a copy editor and copy editor. Oh, I love copy editors. They find stuff that... You know, you use the word play twice in one sentence. Yeah, I don't know how they find all that stuff. And then after the copy editor, um, it gets uh, formatted and then proofread. And then after the proofread, it gets formatted and out into the world for their yay or nay. Yeah, the process is always like it's a long process, but they mm-hmm end result is 100% worth it. And that glass of champagne, do you have it again at the very end, like when it's actually publishing time? Oh my goodness, yes. I I learned that from this group called the Creative Academy and this one woman, uh, Crystal Hunt. She has champagne every time, every little win. So if if it's a really tough scene or really emotional scene, it's have a glass of champagne. And I have just, since I've been doing that, I've been finding that, I, I don't know, it makes the process so much more enjoyable to know that you can celebrate. You don't have to wait till it gets published to celebrate. You can celebrate, you know, all the different milestones along the way. Yeah, I love that. That's a great, like, kind of successful loop to keep yourself in because it keeps you motivated in a way. Yeah. For doing all the difficult things and staying with it. Yeah. Um, do you have other ways that you celebrate those, like, wins? Um, I, I, I like, uh, well, other than the champagne, I usually take some time off, like even if it's just a day or two and do something different. I have so many hobbies that I don't get to because writing, especially when I'm in the heat of it, takes up all of my time. I find it really hard to stop writing creatively when I'm in the zone. So, um, when I do find time, I have to force myself to get up and go out for a walk, try to do that daily. But um, usually champagne or a cup of tea or a walk or a lunch or dinner. I'm going to Vancouver for a couple of days uh, sometime this month. So that's going to be fun. I'm actually doing a really interesting, uh, it's a book trip, but it's downtown Vancouver at the law courts. And I'm going because anyone can go to criminal trials. And um, there's a a very big uh, legal scene in this book that I'm, that's currently drafted. And so I'm going to go and stay in a hotel for a couple of days and I have a couple of girlfriends coming with me. One of them is a crown prosecutor. So I'm going to go, go in and um, sit down and like 
get the firsthand. What does it smell like? What does it feel like? Uh, yeah. Courtroom. You know, all so like they're musty. <laughs> so I had jury duty. So oh. <laughs> I got the experience. It's like, are you sure it was jury duty? Yes. <laughs> so I got it in the mail and I was like, no. <laughs> I tried to, you know, I was called for jury duty a couple years ago and they, they rejected me. <sighs> it's not I want to go. I will say I like when I had it, it was a cool experience. I was really hoping not to get picked. Um, cause at the time I was still working as a physical therapy assistant. And of oh. course I get stuck on a, um, malpractice case. And I was like, no, there's no way they're going to let me this one. Then maybe they will. <laughs> nope. It was just like, okay. <laughs> Ended up going for almost two weeks. It was just like, this is killing. Oh my goodness. Wow. Criminal cases. I bet those are interesting. So, yeah. well, I've learned so much already just doing the research uh, because um, are you in Canada as well? I'm in Oklahoma. So it's a weird, okay. yeah. So we, most of our TV uh, mm -hmm. is American. Oh. So, you know, we're, we're used to seeing on TV the way a courtroom looks in an American court. So you've got mm -hmm. the judge behind the bench and they've got a gavel and you've got the two tables that you don't have that in Canada. Really? You've got, no, you got a judge, no gavel, and the, the defense and crown are at a table right up against the judge, Man. right up against the judge. So the defendants are sitting in a box over here. Their, their lawyers are at the front of the room, and so it's completely different. And so you have to kind of explain. Okay, I'm, I do like to be true to the location, so I do put in things to get the... Um, point across without hitting people over the head but I can't make it an American court when it's happening in Vancouver so you know as much as I, I'd like to describe the table and you know the people that are sitting right at the table that's not how it happens here yeah <laughs> there's no gavel how can there not be a gavel you're going to get that research in there and like have yeah. a little trip out of it yeah yeah I can't wait can't wait that's gonna be such fun oh yeah and you'll get to pick your friend's brain too while you're there the whole time oh. mm-hmm Yes. Uh, <laughs> and then dinner's out. Like where I live, I live on a little wee island. It's a yeah. farming community. There's like uh, 1,400 people, I think, is the new census. Or maybe it's 1,600. I can't remember now. Mm -hmm. I think it's 1,400. So it's really small. We're ferry bound. And um, the places to eat out are, there's two places you can eat lunch. They're not all open. They're not both open every single day. Sometimes there's dinner at one of the restaurants. Not Not all the time, not often. So um, going out for meals is one of my favorite things to do when I get off island. Yeah. <laughs> Dinners and lunches. Here I come. Yes, man. It's because you're you're kind of deprived there. But I also get like the small like island living is probably a little bit more peaceful too. It's very peaceful. But we do have a bookstore. Yeah. We have hey, a bookstore. There you go. I mean, necessities, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> you, that your place has their priorities right. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm curious too, though, what other research have you had the chance to do for this series? Oh my goodness. It's you, you would think that being a fantasy novel, you wouldn't need that much research, but you'd be so surprised. You write fantasy as well? Yeah, urban paranormal yeah. fantasy as well. So yeah. like, I totally get you. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Oh yeah. You have to, um, I, I, in the, in the other series, I went down, I drove down the coast mm -hmm. to California and, um, I, because I was setting a scene in Bodega Bay, I needed to know what it smelled like, what it looked like, what it felt like, what the local, uh, people spoke like. Um, I, I, I just, there's so much that you get from a, a field trip like that, that you just can't get otherwise. But if you can't get someplace, then, um, and I do this for Vancouver and for others, I'll look at traffic cams to see what the, what the intersection looks like and whether it's hills or flat or buildings in the background. I'll uh, Google Earth the heck out of things if I need to, to find out, you know, where the railroad tracks are and where the warehouse district kind of is. So I, I do that kind of research. And um, a lot of times I'm looking at temperatures, normal temperatures, sunset, 
times, uh, sunrise times. So you're setting the timing correct for the various things that happen, especially if nighttime is important. It's dark, like here in Vancouver or up in this area. In the summertime, it's light at 930 at night. So you've got to make sure that you're saying 10 or later if it's going to have to be a scene that's pitch dark outside, right? Yeah. So tons of research. Just little things, big things. Lots of my favorites, the field trip things. Yeah. Oh, that's like a win-win situation. You get to go explore and you get book ideas. Like you get yeah. to have good food. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Thank goodness for the restaurant. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, have you, when you were young, did you know you were going to become an author one day? Was that a dream you had or did it kind of come as a surprise later in life? It. It was not a dream I had, although I must say I grew up in Toronto and um, there's lots of snow and slush and ice. And I remember early days, um, both in school and when I was first working, where I'd be on the bus and we'd be you know, going through the snow. And I used to read on my commute and I used to think, mm. oh, wouldn't it be nice if I could just do this from home? Like, what jobs can you do from home? I could, I could write if only I had an idea big enough for a book. Uh. Meanwhile. So I didn't expect I would become a writer, but there was an opportunity where um, we'd been doing an awful lot of traveling, my husband and I, uh, with his work. And we'd been away in the south, so Tucson for three years and two years in Mexico, one in the Baja and one in a little town. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it was the first winter we'd been back and here on the West Coast. It's often called the wet coast because it's rainy and windy and miserable in the winter. Not so much snow, but lots and lots of rain and cold. And it was the first winter we were home and my husband was watching a hockey game. And I was sitting there thinking, oh, my God, how am I going to spend this winter? Because, you know, I can't enjoy the sun like I, I used to. So um, I started, I'd been reading a lot of paranormal and, and urban fantasy. And so I thought I had this recurring dream of flying. I've had it since I was a kid and I love those dreams. And so I thought, well, I wonder if I could write the scene of this uh, woman who goes out to her deck and just leaps off and starts flying. And I, I, uh, I, I wrote that one scene took me a couple of nights to get it so that I really loved it. I thought, oh, this is just terrific. But how did she know she could jump off the deck and fly? Like, she must have known. Yeah. And then, like, what was in her background? And, and where was she flying to? So that that scene became the first book in the series. And, and I didn't think I'd have an idea big enough. And I realized after I wrote that first scene and the first book popped out, you know, a couple of years later, that you don't have to have the whole book in your head. You just have to have one scene. Yeah. You, you don't have to be a, a plotter. You can be a panster. Yeah, that is awesome. So how was the transition? Like, what was it like from a panster to a planner? Um, it, it, <laughs> it was necessary for my sanity, is all I'll say. Um, when I started the first series, there's seven books in the first series. And so when I, when I started the first series and I, I wrote that first book, um, when I started the second book, I was constantly going back to the first book to say, oh, did I describe what that person looked like? Because I need to make sure that I give a little clue there, right? So I, I learned to, before I even knew what they were, I started creating this series Bible. I didn't know, know it was going to be a series, but I got tired of going back and looking and looking and looking. And the same thing happened with writing the story. So um, I, I had the what the people looked like, and what the places, you know, and maps and such of the places so I had that little book I could reference but get into the third book and the fourth book and as I started writing I was writing myself into corners all the time mm-hmm. and that was such a waste of time I wanted to tell a really interesting story but I realized that if I didn't start plotting it out I wasn't going to be able to wrap up all of the storylines that you get when you have a series so each book has a a complete story but there's also that overarching story for the whole series yeah so that's why I ended up becoming a plotter because I just got lost too many times writing and I don't like unproductive writing time I I can't stand it when I have to throw out a whole bunch of stuff because it's just not going where I want it to go (laughs) yes oh my gosh I'm the same way I started keeping a specifically like a list of characters and their traits, their magic, their like where they're from, who they're related to and like who their significant other is. Like 
because I did, I got, I'm like you, I got tired of going back. Like, how did I describe it? Especially I was the super frustration came when I discovered I had described somebody different than I originally wrote them as <laughs> in a book that I was doing editing on. And I was like, oh, crud. Like now, how many times did I put this person like this? And like, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many traps you can get into. I, I know a lot of people swear by um, pantsing, and those people are good at, at doing it that way. Me, I just need a little more structure in my life. Yeah, and I think, honestly, like, there's no, like, full answer because you're going to have to do some kind of planning, whether that involves researching a certain thing. That, that falls into planning because you have to plan how you're going to make it look. So, yeah, it's... Um, something I like to ask authors and you kind of mentioned like going for a walk earlier is what do you do for self-care like how do you keep yourself sane and not get lost in your book world oh well when I'm writing a book I do tend to get lost in my book world I go to parties and I'm the one that's zoned out because I'm listening to conversations and trying to pick things that I can use in the next book. I do that too. So <laughs> be careful. Um, yeah. Self-care for me is uh, keeping myself physically fit enough that I continue to write because writing is my happy place. It makes me happy. It makes me feel fulfilled. I feel like it's my contribution to entertaining the world. So, well, for those people that want to read the books. Um, so for me, keeping healthy is keeping me happy and so keeping healthy means getting out even when I don't want to and I used to do a lot of working out but when COVID hit um, I stopped going to the gym because it was just not well it was closed for so long and I haven't gotten back to it but I have gotten back to um, or I've continued to walk I try to walk every day and I walk you know probably three or four kilometers a day so maybe a mile or two um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's not a lot, but it keeps me active. And I try not to snack. I don't, I don't sit there and, you know, fill my face full of chips and, and chocolates, except at Christmas time, because then I yeah. just, <laughs> like, that's a, just like bench like, just write it off as non, non, like, participating diet. <laughs> Time. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Well, and it's all part of that because it's so easy when you're sitting around all day and your activity levels lower. It's so easy to start putting on weight when you're not doing physical things. So, um, I mean, I do other things too in the summertime. I do get out and garden. I mean, I call myself a lapse gardener, but I actually eventually I will get out there and tackle the weeds and and I do, you know just pruned the fig tree and the fruit trees you know they need pruning every year so we're just in the middle of doing that process so there are things that I do to get out and get physical but um I haven't been back to the gym yeah, yeah. I but should you can also do workouts at home too I mean there's so much online now that you can follow and do I mean not having the equipment could be troublesome, but there's there's other ways to like do that whole workout routine. Because I had I ended up switching to that and staying like workout at home after I had my son, just because it was easier to manage. And I bet, yeah, because otherwise you'd have to get a babysitter or bring him with you. I yeah, guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that could totally. I and I didn't see that going well taking him to the gym, like strap him to me and be on the the treadmill. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to go back a little bit and talk about your character. So you've got different points of view for each book. Do you have a character that's kind of your favorite that's like warmed their way into your heart more so than that? Oh, you know, that's a really tough question. It's like, which of your children are your favorite? No. Oh. <laughs> I know. Not that they're my children, but um, when you create them from scratch, you know, you, you kind of, um, I, I guess I, I must say my first character is Emmeline Taylor and she's the one that, and she's the one that, uh, I guess is closest to my heart. And one of the reasons for that is because she can fly and oh man, how I would love to fly too. So that kind of makes her my favorite, but the other one that is a sneak favorite, just like, is the, the secondary character in the Ghostmark, Bloodmark, Scorchmark series. Her name is Sadie and she's the one that um, is a prostitute for fun and money on the side. Yeah. <laughs> and she, she surprised, she surprised me. I didn't think she would end up being uh, quite that 
fun, but she actually is, as long as you can get the judgmental part out of your mind and just look at her as a person. I, I think she's an awful lot of fun. I get that in reviews, actually. I see that in the reviews that people like Sadie. <laughs> yeah. She does sound like a fun character. Um, what are some of the lessons you've picked up over the years having started this author journey? Lessons about writing? Yeah, or if any, maybe any that kind of a, you could apply to life too that came uh -huh. from the creative world. Oh, well, in terms of the writing, one of the things that I learned is not to make your characters perfect because perfect characters are super boring. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're not they're not fun. So it's it's fun to do that. The the other thing I've learned is to um, enjoy the research part of it. Yes, because it, it does seem like a slog at first. It did. I found it a bit of a slog, but um, when I was looking for the ritual part, uh, the Inca part, um, that turned into an awful lot of fun. So um, I do try to keep that in mind, and I try not to get. Um, although I, I find balance still um, a challenge, I, I got to say. I find it a challenge because I get into my head. I get into the books. I don't want to leave them. Yeah. I, I get so frustrated. Like, time to go for your walk. Oh, okay. You know, so that balance I still struggle with and I still strive to, to do. And um, that's probably one of the big things I've learned from writing. I gave up a lot to do this full time. Like there's, I don't do the, the watching TV thing that I used to do. Uh, I, you know, it's, there's no time to waste every minute. You, just, you know, five minutes. I've learned that you can do a lot in five minutes. Oh yeah. You know, whereas I used to like five minutes. Okay. Well, bye. No, now five minutes. Oh, I could get another sentence down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Or you could research a little bit more. Like, you, you know, it's just, or get a couple more words edited. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can look up one more word. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can get a lot into. Yeah. Have you tried dictation? I have. I, I'm not the best with it, though, because when I dictate, mm -hmm. I go back and oh, like editing it. I'm just like, I'm just going to have to just scratch it because it's and I end up having to like rewrite it all because it doesn't pick up my words very well. Um, now sometimes if I, like, if everything's quiet around me, I can get it to pick them up good, but more often than not, it's just easier for me to type it out. Um, yeah. a lot of people have had success with it. So. I know I'm so tempted. I've tried a couple of times, but I tend, when I'm writing, I tend to write a sentence and then sometimes I'll write a whole paragraph and then I go back and I just. I, I do. That's how I write. I know people say you shouldn't, but to my mind, there's no you shouldn't. It's when you're writing, you do what works for you. And so I, that works for me. I go back and I, I, so when I'm, when I try to dictate, I don't have the formed complete thought in my head. Yes. Oh, I do that too. And I'm just like, I draw a blank and I sit there. I'm like, yep, can't do it. So you just have to see the words in front of you almost to actually yeah. finish flowing. Someone, someone, I read somewhere once that um, they said, you know, you didn't learn to type overnight and you won't learn to dictate overnight, but you can do it if you keep practicing, but I'm impatient. So I haven't yet mastered it. I'm always curious though, when I hear people who have mastered it because man, they can pump out six to 10,000 words a day. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely have not mastered it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it looks kind of crazy when I do try to dictate and it's just, ugh. Um, I am curious too, though, what does success look like for you? Oh, success is when someone enjoys the book. I can't tell you how, well, you know, you're a writer. When someone writes a review or gets in touch with you or you bump into them at a market or wherever you're selling your books and someone says, or someone's coming to get a second book. They read the first one and they're coming to get the second. And it's just, oh, you can make my day because you spend such a lot of time with these characters and in your head and writing and you gave up a lot to do it. And you're doing it because you want to entertain people or inform, depending on what you're writing. But you want people to read what you've put out. So when they read it and they enjoy it and they come back for more or they say something nice in a review, that's that's why I do this. Yeah, that 
That's awesome. Um, if you could share a piece of advice to somebody who's just starting their author journey, um, what kind of advice would you offer them? I, I would offer them what I learned when I started writing, and that is don't wait till you have that big idea. You know, you may not have the big idea. Start with a little idea. Like start as a pantser, if that's how you get your, you know, if that's how you get your feet wet. That's how I started, and writing is the most fun I have ever had. I love it. I, I reward myself with it every day. So do it. Just do it. That's what my advice would be. <laughs> When it comes to marketing, do you have any go-tos that work the best for you in this series? For me right now, marketing, the best thing that I do is, um, other than these appearances where I'm, you know, making myself available to, to be interviewed, is um, through advertising, usually stacked ads through whatever, depending on your genre, which site you might use, Bark and Booksy or Free Booksy or fussy librarian or whatever those those do well you get bang for the buck with that the other thing that i've done with this series that i've never done before oh aren't you just the nosh right there (laughs) so cute um i do um i've been submitting to contests and i hadn't done that before and so i'm pleasantly surprised because the the series has uh, about 10 awards now it's um a lot of them are honorary mentions and finalists uh, and then a couple of wins Uh, but that has been a real boost to not only my confidence but when I'm sitting set when I'm hand selling books I've got a like the wishing shelf book awards you actually get a medal that's a medal that they send so you know those kinds of things have been very, very good marketing wise. And also um, the publicist, Mickey Mickelson, that I have with Creative Edge and big shout out to Mickey Mickelson. Um, he, he does things for me, like gets me a book cover, Books and Buzz magazine. And that book cover has gotten me a lot of attention as well. So um, those, those are the things that I'm doing now that I wasn't doing before. And they've been very, very effective, I've got to say. Ooh, yes, they they definitely come in handy, especially like the bargain size you mentioned. I try to keep a list of like which ones work the best with me, um, kind of like analyzing, hey, I got more clicks from these guys than this guy's or like it performed better. And yeah. Um, what are some of the outside experiences that have affected your writing and your productivity with getting these books done? Probably my work experience. Um, I did have a job <laughs> prior to all of this. And um, my, my work was in human resources. And in human resources, one of the things you do is, um, well, many things, writing job descriptions. So breaking a, a job down into its primary uh, or its, its main um, areas of responsibility. And that's something you do with characters, too. You don't even think you're doing it, but you are as you're as they're doing things, they, they all do it a slightly different way. So that's part of it. Um, and then motivation uh, in terms of employee retention. If you want to retain employees, you have to motivate them. How are you going to motivate them? And motivation for uh, characters is is similar. You have to give them motivation. Uh, you also have to um, be able to, when you're interviewing people for jobs, you kind of have to be able to figure out if the skill set that they come with and the personality and such that they come with will meld well with the people and the job that you're considering them for. So being able to take someone and know that, okay, the, the job is physically demanding, you know, a warehouse job, physically demanding. So you've got to make sure that the person you're interviewing has the physical capacity to do that job. So it's the same in the character world. If, your character is going to be a kick-ass heroine, she better be able to be a kick-ass heroine. She has to be fit. You know, she doesn't have to be the slim model, but she has to be fit. So those are the things that um, I did in my real life that I think genuinely helped me in this other life. And the other thing is the observation skills. Yeah, yeah. I think all writers have that. They just notice the little things. I agree. I've been told a couple times and I didn't know how 
that people like the person saying them a few times meant it if it was good or bad but they're like you're really observant like it just the way they said it was kind of like okay that's kind of creepy or is it like a okay you just figured this out I'm like yeah I mean and it it is it's one one of the things I like to do is go sit and people watch and you pick up Mm -hmm. different tendencies or different almost like personalities and looks and stuff to just put into your little toolkit in your brain yeah and it's fun yeah Yeah. even even if like because I never get out but when you're out in the city and you're watching people walk down the street and you see how many different ways there are walking down the street like the people that have been hunched over the people that are strutting the people that are just kind of mousing along all of those things you bring into your your work yeah and a lot of people don't even realize that they're being like this stuff is being drawn from just walking past us. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the it creative is. Creative world and our secrets. <laughs> We're very lucky. Yes. Um, and on that note, go ahead and tell our listeners and viewers where they can find you and your books. My book, everything that you want to know about me, you can find on my website, which is jpmcclainauthor.com. So you can find everything there. And I have this week, I will be putting my books, the first series, the Secret Sky Gift Legacy series, they're going to be going into Kindle Unlimited for the very first time. So I'm going to be doing some advertising around that. And I'll be ticking that little box off. I've just taken them off everywhere else. So they'll be exclusive to Amazon for the next three months, at least. And hopefully we'll see what happens with all those people that might want to watch, read them there. Yes. Awesome. I wish you good luck with Kindle Unlimited. And Joanne, thank you so much for being on the Chapter Goddess today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to see you again. Yes. I hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to hit that like button and subscribe to get future notifications when shows come out. Also, be sure to check out my website. I have a blog featuring this creative with some other fun and interesting questions. You can also subscribe to my newsletter there to stay up to date with all things The Chapter Goddess and Madeline Dale. Once again, thanks for watching and have a great rest of the day.